Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening. This is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 29 on a new release day, coming at you on Wednesday, June 30th, instead of our usual Fridays, this is the new normal. I like this a lot, actually. I really do, too. It was nice to come off the weekend and get ready to go right again. So, I'm Eric, the biggie, man you just heard, saying that he likes this, is Ramsey. How you doing, buddy? What's going on? And the man you have not heard speak, joining us via Zoom, once again, the new dad, the coach, Justin Dahl. What's going on, guys? Not much, man. We're just here to record a podcast on a Monday. On a Monday. I'm excited. Uh, a Monday fun day for everybody here. Uh, well, actually, it's not Monday, right? We release it Wednesday. Hump so day. Hump day release party. Hump day. We both kind of sound like idiots calling it Monday. No. Uh, we record on Mondays. We make it very clear that we record a day in between. So there's nothing wrong with that. We make it very clear. Okay. We talk about things as they happen. That's the one yeah. downfall of podcasts is it's not live radio, so you're not getting instant reaction, but pretty damn close, if we're being honest. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. Bucks game happened last night. So pretty, so, pretty wait, out. Who, played, who uh, played last night? Actually, what? that'll work out perfectly. From Bucks game played last night from when we record, and Bucks game played last night when we release. That's going to work out really well. So anyway, we're coming at you from the Meaner True Value and Riverwood Gallery Studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. And a couple pieces of business for here before we start. As always, our partners over at Monkey Knife Fight. Lots of contests going on right now. Beautiful time in sports. You've got baseball games galore. You've got the European Championships for soccer. Probably going to have the Olympics coming up. I don't know what they do for the Olympics, but there's going to be stuff on there. You've got golf going on left and right. You've got NBA playoffs going on left and right. NHL playoffs. You name it, NASCAR's going on there. Play the contest, win some money, and when you get that money, power yourself with what's fueling us, the Rays Rebellion, RepSports.com, Rays Energy. They, their new flavor, Strawberry Lemonade, pretty damn good. Uh, that said, if you didn't get it already, I believe it's already sold out. Hopefully they're going to make that permanent, but follow along with them. Rep Sports code ROOT4, R-O-O-T, number four. Root for Root for Wisconsin, Rep Sports, Raise Energy. It's all there. You know it by heart by now. We know it by heart by now. With that, we get into what we always start the episode off with. What we had rooted for, sponsored by Fanatics, over 300 powered stores on fanatics.com. MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, NASCAR, e-gaming, golf. Your sports team is there without a doubt. Hashtag love on. Show your love for your team with Fanatics. Whether you're in the middle of a rebuild or building a dynasty. Fanatics.com. Hashtag love on. We start with what we had rooted for this week, and I'll let Justin go first. I rooted for, uh, and I'm, I'm sure nobody has paid attention to this. Um, maybe maybe you, Eric, but I know Ramsey hasn't. He, this just isn't really his cup of tea, but the Badgers have since June 24th or 21st have nailed seven commitments from players, uh, most of which were outside the state. Two were inside the state, but today they got a big, big time uh, quarterback out of South Lake, Texas, 
a one-time commit from from uh, Oklahoma State, and then and then on the 25th they hit a huge defensive tackle at six one three hundred pounds. He picked uh, Wisconsin over Ohio State in Alabama. That was uh, a mistake. Just a big get. What's that? That was a mistake. Imagine choosing Wisconsin over Ohio State in Alabama. Like, hey, no, I don't want to win national titles. It's fine. Hey. <laughs> that, that's a terrible take for Wisconsin fans. So, But just a, a, a good time for, for the Badgers. Uh, they even hit on a, on a Michigan kid who was getting late recruiting from, from all the Big Ten schools. 6'5", 203 pounds wide receiver. Tommy, Tommy McIntosh. He he's uh he he was getting recruited pretty pretty late in the game. So uh yeah, they, they hit on they they've got their quarterback early, so now they're starting to build the class around. There's a big guy, a big guy from Whitefish Bay, Joe Brunner, uh, who is the seventh rated offensive tackle in the nation. He is going to pick tomorrow at three PM. Uh, he, his choices are down to uh, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. Uh, and he, it, it sounds like, in the crystal ball selections, have him as a hard lean. He would be the seventh highest rated recruit to uh, commit to Wisconsin in in, in the history of. Uh, is that these any websites. is that any position or is that ever? Ever any position ever? Wow, who's the highest? Uh, I believe it's Nolan Rucci, who they signed last year, or Logan Brown, who they signed two years okay. ago. Both offensive tackles. Yeah, no, Justin, that sounds like a hell of a recruiting class. Great week. I mean, you know, it's really funny. I mentioned in when I make the agenda this morning, I mentioned that there wasn't really a whole lot of news for Badger Sports. And then within probably about an hour, there was a lot of news about Badger Sports. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. But great stuff to root for. Ramsey, what are you rooting for this week? Or what did you root for this last week? You know, to be honest, I didn't really watch anything. I watched NASCAR at Pocono. So I guess I rooted for that, but... That was boring. I, I hate Pocono. Pocono is the worst track. Oh, I it hate is. Pocono. Oh, I hate it with a passion. I'm excited for this week. I know that's probably what you're going to root for in your home state. But of course. Going down po- to... You, know, I, you I, are going. I, I kind of want to go, but I don't really I wanna... don't want to go. Go because road course. I, I can't imagine road course watching in person is easy. You know, to be honest, like unless you go to even like some of the bigger tracks, isn't great to watch at. See, so Shauna, her family, like she's got family members that work for Kohler, so she's been there for other uh, stuff. Yeah, she says <coughs> unless you sit, there's one very specific portion to sit at, and unless you do that, it's literally like the whole concept of oh, there go the cars. I'll see them again in five minutes. Yeah, and that's I, I feel Road America is probably definitely better to watch on TV. Uh, on TV at your house with some uh, raised energy, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, so for sure, rooting for Pocono. You know, big win for Alex Bowman and big win for Kyle Busch yesterday without yeah, a transmission. Well, so, I'll right. tell you what, though, for as boring of a race as th- those two races were, they they were good finishes. They, they were. were there was a lot of drama at the end of were, those two races. And I'll go back and say it again. I think Kyle Busch might be the best driver we've ever seen. He's he, definitely up there. He was stuck in fourth gear. Right. He could not shift. 
Mm-hmm. He was stuck in fourth. They had a guy in his car working on shifter linkage. That's awesome. And he still finds a way to win. So hats off to you, Kyle. Literally. That's something that hasn't been seen since probably 1990s Jeff Gordon. Yeah, literally. Like that's because that's that's. I'm sure you know this. And I'm sure Justin, you know this too. That's actually how he got his deal with Hendrick. Was he was practicing at a track. His car was all broken, and he came out of a corner, saved it from wrecking. I think he ended up winning that whatever race he was in or whatever practice session he was in. He ended up being the fastest car or whatever with a broken-ass car, and that's what actually led Rick Hendrick to sign him and make him his flagship driver. Which is now making him basically the heir to the throne of Hendrick. Right. So, so yeah, definitely and probably haven't seen that since. Lots to talk about there at what's going on with Hendrick and and how well they're running and and what and what the uh, what the upper office is going to look like now that uh, Jeff Gordon is number two and son-in-law is like number three and well, how, how that how Jeff, that whole thing is. I mean, it's been played out for a long time. It's just Jeff Gordon's always kind of been number yeah. two. Like, I, so this is a big story that came out. But from what I know and what it was, I've seen before, Jeff Gordon's always kind of been number two. That yeah. even back, Jeff Gordon's been number two since he probably signed his last contract with that lifetime contract with them. Well, Rick Hendrick basically at one point Jeff Gordon after his divorce in two thousand one or two, mm-hmm. I believe it was. Jeff Gordon was living with Rick Hendrick at that time, and that was already kind of in the mix back then right it was just it was kind of more like rick hendrick because he said hey this is what i want to do when you're ready to do it so this has been in the works for 20 years it's just a matter of finally all came to fruition and really kind of cool all that stuff you like you can look back at specific moments and just see you know look back 15 18 years ago and see how stuff comes to fruition and yeah really cool uh, what I had rooted for was Milwaukee Brewers, as always, and it's going to be some stuff I say here later. Got to go down for my birthday on Friday. Big win, right? That was Big a, win. Huge, overtime? Yeah. Correct. Extra innings. Overtime. Overtime. <laughs> there's, no, there's no time, Ramsey. Not a time sport. That'd probably make it better. It would make it way That's worse. A, anyway. It's a noogie of the week right there. Yeah. The overtime <laughs> win against the Rockies. So Didn't they the, have bases loaded though. In the the Brewers were down four nothing at one point. Keston here just came back up from the minors after another kind of get right stint. Hit a home run. It was four to one. Colton and that was the seventh inning. Colton Wong hit a home run in the eighth. Willie Adamas, <laughs> their new acquisition, newest acquisition, I should say, uh, that's on a bigger stage anyway, hit a two run home run to tie the game in the ninth. Uh, Josh Hader pitched a tenth. Lights out. They get out of a little bit of a jam in the 10th. Or Brewers had a little bit of a threat. Didn't come to fruition in the 10th. And Je- uh, Devin Williams came in, pitched the 11th. Was phenomenal. And the Brewers won it in the 11th. So um, since the Brewers trade, getting a Willie Adamas, which I honestly was really nervous for because he hasn't really done this this year and he's kind of fallen off a little bit as since coming up to the big leagues. Since acquiring Willie Adamas, the Brewers have the best record in baseball at 24 and 10 since May 22nd. Their pitching's been incredible. And they're just they're so fun to watch. You're watching a potential contender right now. Possible championship yep. contender. So get 
in on board now. No. What? Don't come party Why? with us then. Don't come party what, with us. What, then. I'll be I'll be a front row. Well, what the yeah? What the hell matters about it now? Just, like, you're gonna want to get on board. You don't. You're gonna want to get on board now. Why? You just want to get on board now. Don't don't be that bandwagon <laughs> guy that, in September. It, don't you dare. There's, there's not gonna be. There's not going to be enough room on the ship at you know game one one forty eight one fifty. There's not. I'm I'm not letting it happen. <laughs> you can't, you can't get everybody off the fucking ship. I'm kicking you two specifically off the ship. <laughs> I'm not. Good. I'm not, not getting on September. that ship. I just I, I'll go down and party. I am not good on the boat though. <laughs> you better hope that there's not any overtime. I better, dude. I can't imagine sit. Imagine so. Imagine going to a baseball game and having to sit through nine innings, right. and then having and to watch more baseball. Seven. I know, and then you have to watch more baseball. And it goes, and it goes twelve. No, oh actually, I actually did pay attention to that game. Believe it or not, we were watching it at the uh, rehearsal. On nice. Friday. So that was the first Brewer game I actually even paid attention to. That's why I knew that it went to overtime. Did whatever, whatever, whatever. Noogie of the week time. First one goes to Ramsey. Calling Boom. extra innings overtime. Let's go. Yeah. Back-to-back weeks where Ramsey gets a Noogie. Good. I hope I get a Noogie every week. Down. On a serious note, uh, my big Noogie of the week is actually going to be baseball involved in well. I had a couple others in mind. Um, I, initially, I kind of thought NBA because these playoffs, it really sucks, and I think we hit on this two weeks ago. It really sucks not seeing all that competitive of series because of so many injuries. And there's a lot of factors that led to that, including the health pandemic and having to have a shortened season last, or the restart of the season last year, shortened off season, and then coming back and doing it again so quick right away this year. But it is what it is. But what I'm going to go with is Brewers fans, and I'm I'm one of the biggest Brewers fans there is, and I, and I'm what I'm going to say is actually going to kind of contradict itself from what I actually personally believe as a fan. The fact that the Brewers are in first place. By three games right now in probably one of the more competitive divisions in baseball and don't have a single player in the in the National League All-Star starting top three at any position is embarrassing. Granted, they're pitching. They might get a pitcher or two who are going to pitch an inning or two in the All-Star game, but the fact that they don't have a starter in the top three because Brewer fans didn't come out, which, again, dumb system. But it, the fact remains that Wisconsin always comes out for their, their sports. And just because there were some struggles early on, it's well, kind of embarrassing. I, well, to be fair to Brewers fans, there's some other stuff going on in that city right now that's also taking a lot of eyes off. No doubt about it. What are you talking about right now? You're talking about, well, what are they? They're 45 and 31 or something like that, right? So you're 76 games into a 162-game season. What matters less than game 158 is the All-Star game. Nobody cares about the All-Star game. Why? I, I what dis- is it? I disagree with that. I turned the All-Star game on. I also watched home Baseball derby. probably has the best All-Star I, game. I agree with Eric on that one. The, the I only care. thing that matters about the All Star Weekend is the home run derby. I like all. I I'll, I'll watch the All Star game. The All Star game mm-hmm. is the best of the sports All Star games. The I, MLB All Star game. Uh, I won't disagree with you, but it doesn't make it any good. It's not close though either. I would no, say it's MLB, far and above the 
Well, it's the biggest weekend, I think, to be honest with you. Like, that's, uh... Well, here's, here's the thing that makes MLB All-Star Game Week great. You've got the Home Run Derby. Actually, I take that back. You've got the Minor League Showcase, the, the Prospects Showcase on Sunday, which is incredible. You have the top talents in all of the Minor League Baseball levels in one building. Then you have the Home Run Derby... On, on Monday. Which is always a show. And the Celebrity Softball game on Monday. Which, take or leave, whatever. It's still kind of cool. All-Star game Tuesday. But the beautiful thing about that is they test out a lot of features in that All-Star game broadcast. It's very TV friendly. You've got on-field interviews during the game, which no other sport does or can do. And then on top of it, you get a lot of different camera angles. They actually then test out so they can do it in the postseason. Because baseball's postseason for TV coverage is on a different level, too. Well, and even some of the things that you see is matchups of star pitchers versus star, star you, hitters you, yeah. that you're never going to see. Like, you see matchups that you don't see throughout the regular season just because everyone's there, right? right. I mean, that's some mat- It's that, the core definition of an all-star game. Mm-hmm. And that's the beautiful part about it. And like I said, just, just as a broadcast nerd, you know, the one who does all the ones and twos and stuff here too, like I said, you see a lot of different experimental things that they end up actually doing come postseason time. Like MLB on Fox, the Fox broadcasting and Fox Sports does baseball better than anybody else. And it's not even close. But when you watch like the World Series, they actually started out with the, this in the in the uh, all-star game is that they would put bases by the, or microphones by the bases. So you can hear like the slide come in better, or you can hear like the, the chatter in the infield. So like, a lot of experimental things start in the all-star game that make the world series broadcast that much better. So you see it on a TV standpoint they, I mean, they don't really do like the, the, like the NFL pro Bowl, like they put in dumb rules to, to try to get people to watch it and try to experiment some stuff. And it just always falls flat. You find a lot of good stuff in that All-Star game. So a little bit, you know, it takes 10 seconds to go vote, and you just vote your 25 times like by clicking it. So the fact that Brewers slash Bucks fans can't go do that, come on, guys. Let's be better. We have a first-place team. Come on. Ramsey, you're going to be the week. Outside of the pitchers, who, who is All-Star worthy? Omar Narvaez. Catcher. Okay. I'm just trying to have you tell me. I don't know. I would say Colton Wong. Colton Wong is a two-time back-to-back gold glove winner. So what? You're not going off of credentials from past seasons. You're going off of credentials of what happened this season. Yeah, he's, he's also your one of your leading hitters right now. He's been injured all year. He's probably batted a third of everybody else. Either way, he's, his defense makes up for it. And... <clears throat> In the end, fan votes are popularity contest. You got to come up for Christian Yelich. He is your superstar, the one that you're paying millions and that's millions why, of dollars. That's why the All Star Game is a joke. You're talking about guys that haven't played all year long that are going to end up making. It's like the NBA All Star. It's stupid. All right, you got just, guys that are going that that won't. Not, that's a different topic, but we'll get into whatever. that in a couple weeks. Anyway, yeah. Justin Yearning of the week. My nugget of the week is the College World Series. I'm going to baseball route with you, Ramsey. But the College World Series, how many of you guys 
know what the hell's going on with the College World Series. Not really, no. Like, and I, I follow college baseball not as closely as I do MLB but, or even minor league college, baseball, but it's a joke right now. Yeah, the College World Series feels like it takes longer than the whole damn season in itself. This thing's been played out for over two weeks. This is not where I thought you were going with this, by the way. This the girls. Well, it's just too long. It's not interesting. The you can't get behind any players because they don't. I mean, the you, you can't watch them on a daily basis. Any of the teams. This is just dragged out so long that did you guys even know that the the first game of the actual World Series starts tonight? The actual series. I, I did know that, but also the only reason I knew that was because of the controversy that happened this weekend with, I think, South Carolina. North Carolina State. Yeah, North Carolina yes. State. Thank you. And that's another one. That's NCAA, where I thought you were going with this. NCA deserves a noogie for that because you got people that are in. You got what, how many freaking people? 50,000 people sitting in the stands. And, and you got two guys on NC state that were connected to people that tested positive, And now you shut down their, their whole season, their chance at a national championship. The NCAA, and this is just another thing. The NCAA is absolutely incredibly stupid on. They've already played, play them, let them play. They're not a risk to people. They're vac- Most of them are vaccinated. They're the youngest. Joke. They're in that. They're in the total demographic that is going to be the least affected by anything, anyway. And I'm not trying to, you know, diminish because they're, you know, I don't want other people to get sick. I'm not wishing that upon anybody. This might not even age great, but they're in the the healthiest demographic. They're like I said. I think they're all vaccinated too. I think they had to, you know, I think the NCAA is kind of requiring that. And to shut down a team. They had, I think that at one point, because of the protocols they put in place before the season started, they didn't even adapt their protocols. NC State would have had 14 guys available. So they, they couldn't play. So the NCAA shut down their season in the semifinals of the College World Series, which, I mean, Vanderbilt was going to win that anyway. I'm not going to sit here and, and say that they had a chance. But just the optics of it is terrible. Horrible. The optics of the NCAA have never been good on anything. No. If there's a way to fuck something up, the NCAA is going to find it. But that's just, they're almost as bad as the Packers and Baker Mayfield. It's been a while since you've been a Baker Mayfield. Good for you, buddy. Found a way to shoot on that one in there. What, episode 29? Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. It's been a couple weeks. The Baker's been kind of uh, irrelevant as normal. All right, Ramsey, you're going to get the week? I know it's just going to be the NBA in general. You know, the NBA right now has probably the most talent we've ever seen but this finals is probably going to be this year we're going to have the worst champion that we've had in 30 years i mean it's just it's it's kind of sad to see where we're at due to a condensed schedule because we had to fit so many games in and we have to play you know just it's like condense the schedule and then have no off season for a lot of these teams and you LeBron was in it for a hot minute, and Kawhi Leonard's not in, and you just the true champion this year isn't really a true champion. It's just kind of the people who stayed healthy, and that's kind of it. Just kind of sucks. It kind of sucks that you're not going to get a great finals. 
It's, it'll be a good finals, but you're not going to get... You're not going to get a legendary finals. You're not going to get a legendary player in the finals that can elevate, and you're not going to get a great performance. You'll get a great performance, but not noteworthy, I guess. And that, like I said, I said this kind of teased it. I think the frustrating part about this, and it, like I said, it's in a way it's the NBA's fault, but it's also just kind of the situation of the world that we were in when the season ended last year because of the COVID shutdown. You didn't have much of an off season, so you have guys who didn't really recover. I mean, just a second, you know, to take a second to appreciate what not just LeBron, but also like Steph Curry and all those mm-hmm. guys did, where they were playing in the finals for four or five consecutive years. They played in the Olympics mm-hmm. in 2016. They played 2012 and came around and just kept going and going and going and didn't get hurt. None of those guys really got hurt at any point until now. It's just crazy to see the wheels kind of fall off of just some of these teams with great, like Brooklyn. Brooklyn was the best team in the East, and Brooklyn just got derailed due to... Well, they couldn't stay healthy. They couldn't stay healthy. And a lot of that is the fact that they had no offseason to recover, so they had a lot of soft tissue injuries. Mm -hmm. And then you had also guys not going at full speed. Either they try to force themselves back early to, to try to play together and get chemistry, or... Or they just weren't prepared for it physically either. Well, and I think that's another issue that the NBA has right now. Of The regular season is pretty much a joke because it doesn't matter, right? So these guys aren't playing 82 games anymore. So not, they're not working out for an 82-game season. They're kind of, Anthony Davis is notorious for it, kind of just showing up week one like, I took six weeks off and I'm going to come back and play basketball because I'm just that talented. Instead of working at a craft. And it's just, it kind of sucks to see... That state of the NBA, I guess. I I mean there there's a lot that I disagree with there. Um, the, the the you may be right. Um, the the part I really don't disagree. You may be right in the fact that we might have the worst from one to three, as in all star or all time great or type of players to win a championship, but to not, but to say that whoever wins it this year is not a true champion is a completely wrong statement because this year has taught us all about what has taught us all the importance of depth and what a whole team looks like. And not just those one to three or stars. Um, so the fact that the the teams that are really still in it are pretty deep teams. Um, even when you talk about Atlanta, yeah, they're young, but they they they've got they've got guys like Danilo Gallinari coming off the bench, Solomon Hill coming off the bench, some guys that can really play in the game. Uh, Bogdan Bondanovich is coming off the bench for Atlanta, and you talk about and Lou Williams, who's been the sixth man for. Three, three years. <clears throat> um, you've said it yourself, Phoenix is deep. Bucks are a deeper team. Um, and the Clippers are really struggling without Kawhi, and, and their depth is really hurting. Uh, so I don't – that's the part I don't disagree with. I agree with the fact that, yeah, you're probably right. They're, the star power is not quite there, and it might be the worst championship Chip from star power in the last 30 years, I can, I could sort of 
you know, lean over to that side. But to not say it's a true champion, I think it's a wrong is a wrong statement. Uh, I think it's probably the toughest champion within the last ten years because of how many games you're playing in such a short amount of time within a year or a year and a half. So, in my, that, I mean, that's my take on it. But in my opinion, the bubble champion was probably the toughest championship to win. Oh yeah, I, I would probably say that time. too. That champion, you had to go down away from your family for what was it? Like, Six, seven weeks. Yeah, it was that. like two months that you were in a hotel room playing enough of a basketball. I think that's, but it's not here nor there. I, it is kind of is disappointing to me that you were not going to see, like, how great would Brooklyn, LA be? Even the Clippers. Like, the Clippers, probably with a healthy Kawhi, made this at least a seven game series. I don't know if, I think the, Suns are better even with Kawhi, but you know how great would that be to see Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and just have that on the biggest stage? You know, but why? Why isn't Giannis and and Devin Booker great? Why isn't Chris Middleton and and Chris Paul great? What you? Why? I don't. I don't. I don't understand that. Those are two future young stars. Well, that are in the. They're in their mid twenties. Giannis, honestly, future stars. is one of the most frustrating players in the league to watch. So is Chris Middleton, for that matter. I mean, I, I'm a big Chris Paul fan. I've always loved Chris Paul, and I've been a pretty big Devin Booker, Devin Booker supporter for his entire career in Phoenix. But Giannis does not play a... He's a he plays a Russell Westbrook-style basketball where he's just hyper-athletic and just more athletic than everyone else. And I guess that was LeBron James early in his career. But when LeBron James started winning championships, it wasn't like Giannis. And at what age though? You know, Le- at what age? 26, 27, probably even earlier than that. 25. He started developing a little bit of a three point shot, but LeBron, you can't really compare LeBron James to what Giannis is doing either though. Like LeBron James was, I was actually today. I before Eric came over, I was watching some old LeBron type from 2008 when he was playing in Madison Square Garden, and LeBron. I I don't know if I've ever seen another player like LeBron. He was. It's just amazing to watch, um, Giannis, and I think we'd all agree. If he wasn't seven foot. He's not probably even in the league. I mean, he he's athletic and get to the rim, but that's about the extent of his game. There's no substance behind there. He's, he's an okay defender. I mean, I think that his defensive player of the year at this point is kind of a joke. He can't stop Kevin Durant, or they are too afraid to put him on him to get him in foul trouble. His numbers in fourth quarters aren't necessarily great. I mean, I don't know. I'm just not a huge Giannis fan. No, I think we understand that. I'm, my question is, is why can't that be great? Why can't, why, why does it always have to be LeBron? Why does it always have to be KD? Why can't K, why can't Giannis and, and a, a Giannis and, and Devin Booker matchup be great? Because, why can't that be something that we look forward to? That could be a potential matchup multiple times in an NBA championship series over the next 10 years. Why can't that be it? Because we saw Giannis, Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant is just miles in front of where Giannis is. 
But he didn't win the series. That, but that's not uh, Kevin Durant, though. Kevin, Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant almost won that series by himself. That, that, that series loss is not on Kevin Durant. I don't get what your point is. I, I, there, there's no point to what you're saying. I, so He's not there. He didn't win. He can't win. He, he has, what, two titles? MVP with the with the Warriors. Okay, but with he the was, Warriors, win, okay, but he has see. to have two other MVE. But he has to have another MVP play for him. Remember that Giannis isn't doing it with any other MVPs. Yeah, and but, beat him, but and you, beat him in a series. The Bucks, in in my opinion, if that's if Kyrie stays healthy one more game or James Harden is remotely healthy, that series. But over he didn't. I but know, they didn't. They don't have saying. the depth. So we're not actually getting the best teams though. That, that's my point. You I, are! But Milwaukee's not better than Brooklyn. We watched that series. They are! They just proved it! They're better from one to roster end. Better than the Nets. They just proved it. They beat them in a seven-game series. I don't know what else you could say. But can you imagine being completely... You're, so you're telling me that a completely healthy Milwaukee team could had to go Milwaukee seven games against healthy. Brooklyn, who was missing two starters? They were missing two starters. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Or James Harden and Kyrie Irving? James Kyrie Harden played? At what, 50%? Now you're making excuses. And still took him seven Come games. Come on, he played. He scored double figures. He had nine assists. Still took him seven what? games. With a 50% James Harden and missing Kyrie Irving. Well, I guess they shouldn't pay him as much and, and get the depth. I don't know. I don't know what else you want me to say. They don't have the depth. They're not the best team. They don't belong there. But Milwaukee sure as hell doesn't belong there. Milwaukee's got every they, single break this year. Every single except break. For they, except even, for they beat them head to head. Even Trey Young in, last night rolled his ankle. In you're, Brooklyn. You're in so, Brooklyn. But we're saying that Trey Young doesn't roll his ankle last night, that Milwaukee wins that game. Are we sure on that? They've yeah. got Milwaukee. And I understand that people are going to go, hey, it, you have to get lucky to win a championship. And I totally understand that. But Milwaukee has gotten every single break to go their way. You kind of have to, though. But what I would say to just to counter that, so I, I'm with you on that, Justin. I don't, I don't find a huge problem in the fact that it won't be a lebron KD finals. Like It's kind of exciting in a way that you're going to have something different. As much of a LeBron fan as I am, and it sucks not seeing him in the finals, I would love to see kind of like more of a... Not necessarily a passing of the torch moment because it's not going to be a true passing of the torch, but you kind of like having that star power there. But at the same time, like there's something to be said about, like you said, having a potential. This could be something we see two or three more times down the road. So I'll give you that. What I would say, though, Milwaukee, to this point, is a better team than we have seen in probably any of our lifetimes. Yeah. And And the fun thing about them, and... And yes, they've gotten breaks, but they've also answered at every opportunity they've had to so far. Grant, yeah, yeah, there's been breaks along the way, but you got a huge game six and seven out of Chris Middleton in Brooklyn. You got a huge game out of Chris Middleton last night. You've had huge games from Drew Holiday. You've had an, an incredible moments out of Bobby Portis. Yeah. You had good minutes out of Pat Connaughton last night. There's always been someone to step up and answer the bell when it mattered most. Games, game three last night, Giannis was out of the spotlight in that fourth quarter because Chris Middleton was taking over, and Chris Middleton was that closer that I don't think that they've had all season. 
And it's it it doesn't you know, I tweeted out last night and Justin, you actually tagged Ramsey in this this morning. <laughs> um, I tweeted out last night that a couple weeks ago I didn't think the Bucks had a closer. And in a way that I don't I still don't know if they do for sure or not. Chris Middleton has been that closer since the in the middle of that Brooklyn series. But it doesn't the beautiful thing about the Bucks, but also what could be their downfall is the fact that it can be somebody different each game of those big three. Like, to, so far, they're winning when not all parts of the big three are showing up. You're getting they're not an egotistical team. Well, I, that's what that's I'm saying. What I so even, trying to say. even like last night, so game three, Drew Holiday, offensive, shooting-wise, not his best performance, kind of disappeared shooting-wise. He still finished with 12 assists. He played that role. The offense ran through him. As and, it should. And, and it ran through Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton scored 20 in the fourth quarter. They come from behind. They dominate that fourth quarter. They win the game because they answered enough punches. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter. One point in the first quarter, they were down with, what, 15, 16 points? Yeah. They brought it back to within five. Second quarter happens. They start down a little bit again to get down seven, eight. End up, I think, going to halftime down three. I believe it was tied. Or tied. Half. Same thing in the third quarter. So, yeah, you've gotten breaks, but they've also answered when they needed to as well. And that's something we haven't seen out of this Bucks franchise in our lifetime. That's incredible. I, I'm like in for as down as I am on kind of the Bucks and just in the finals in general this year, I am extremely curious to see on what the difference is between the West and the East this year. And, and we'll talk more Bucks. So I, I want to get to this in a little, Eric. We gotta get through a couple things here first. Uh, first, I want to touch about like I said, when I made the agenda this morning. We had almost no Badger news. They announced the, the Big Ten ACC championship for basketball this year. They get Georgia Tech, which on pay, when I first saw that, I'm like, oh, easy win for Wisconsin. And then nope. I remembered all the drama from last year that we were talking about last week. And then I remembered they have, what, like two guys who played varsity minutes, like consistent yeah, minutes no, coming they're... back. And I, on paper right now, I still think Wisconsin probably wins that. But that's going to be a good test for them early on to see, okay, first of all, what's Georgia Tech going to be made out of? And also, what's Wisconsin going to do? How are they going to answer that bell in that first, probably primetime game they're going to have this year? Because Georgia Tech's never, like, bad, right? They're always a relatively decent ACC team. They they were good back it, when I was in high school, they were really good. They made it to the Final Four. Uh, but they, they fell on hard times all the way up until last year. Now they have Josh Passner as their head coach. Last year, they won the ACC tournament. Last year was their first NCAA tournament appearance since 2010. Yep. They, they, they fell on hard times, and uh, they, they picked up a coach that they got from, from Dayton and and Donahue and he, he didn't work out, but contractually they didn't, they didn't, uh, weren't able to move away from him fast enough. Now they got Josh Pastor from Memphis and, and he is well known as a recruiter. He's from Arizona, well known as a recruiter, but not really that great as a coach. Josh Pastor is a guy that took over for John Calipari when John Calipari left Memphis for Kentucky. So Josh Passner's first couple of years, he had Calipari guys. So he had he had a good run, 
but it started going downhill. Now he's doing the opposite at Georgia Tech. He's getting this this thing. He started off slow. He's been on the hot seat for the last two years, but now he he's starting to boom up in in a positive direction for his his coaching career in the hot seat at Georgia Tech. So Georgia Tech is a team on the rise that I I haven't looked very closely at what what their uh, recruiting angle looks like this year, but. I, I know they're going to lose their probably their top player to the draft, but you know what? You guys know once you learn once once you learn how to win, it's hard to lose, even 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 to go have a losing season. So it's a quality team. It's a quality team to put on your resume, especially for a team that really isn't going to have a lot of experience, and you're going to play a lot of freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Right. So, like I said, it, it'll be a really interesting barometer test for what Wisconsin's going to be. So, right when that happens, I'm like, okay, we got something there. And then, something I really want to talk about. Little piece of history here for you just happened today. Graham Mertz will be the first NCAA player with their own trademark when that law goes into place on Thursday the 1st. Well, he, he announced, he, he showed his, he showed his logo come out on Twitter today. So he will he will be that first yeah, player. I didn't know what the hell it was, but now now I do. So he yeah, he'll be the first player that gets that that logo, gets their own trademark. Um so he's in that process right now. So that's kind of exciting news. I'm I'm glad the NCAA didn't ruin this yet. I figure they will. Yet. That's the <laughs> that is the key word right. to that uh He's gonna be suspended for the whole year. Probably. No freaking logo out two days before it's actually legal. But so that, yeah, big little bit of news out of that too. So I was really happy about that. I was going to, I was actually going to use that for my, what I was reading for this week. I thought about it, but yeah, no, that's great stuff for college athletes as a whole. I think we're going to see a really interesting turn now that they can actually do endorsements. Uh, College basketball, I think is going to be that one really interesting piece because we've talked about, you know, what the new rules of the guys can go to the G league right away. How many players are actually going to start doing that? Now that we've also seen some guys go to Europe for a year and come back and actually be successful, we've seen bits of that now too, or Australia. Because that was always a big deterrent for a lot of guys who they thought they'd fall off the radar, wouldn't get dropped as high because they have to take that year away from high school. So now that guys can still make some money in college, I wonder how many guys are going to stay with the NCAA system and, and go there for at least a year. Or maybe now that they can get paid for four years, maybe you'll see a swing that way too. See, I'm starting to wonder though, just with the how good the mellow ball was this year, how good Luca's been. If people aren't going to start looking at European leagues as, hey, we can come be fully pro ready, just taking a year off school. You know what I mean? Like, well, you think about just the the amount of guys, and I, I you know we kind of sit here and think about it and we kind of joke about it in a, in a way. The amount of guys that you see, like those guys who play for four years at Wisconsin, like an Ethan Happ, or a guy like a Jordan Faust who's over in Europe, or Kiefer Sykes who's over in Europe, playing all year round in yep. the European circuits and playing in this league one month, or for a few months, this league for another few months, different things like that. Because club basketball in Europe is a lot different than, than, what, than what the NBA is. But you see these guys playing consistent. Sam Decker's playing overseas. You see these guys having pretty big success over there. And 
And, you know, you have these high school kids who are playing against some of the best college players who just weren't necessarily maybe NBA ready or NBA proof because of just the, the different way the NBA is aged right now. You're seeing kind of a golden era of European basketball right now. Well, and even I think Lou Williams came out today and was talking about how there's, he thinks there's a lot of guys in Europe right now that could play in the NBA. They just choose not to. Like, there's a lot of players over there that are stars that just don't really need to come here right now. So, I, mean, I don't know. It's, I mean, like I said, it's be really interesting to see what happens with marketing and the money flow in the NCAA coming up here in the next few well, years. Well, and, you know, you look at um, the kid who went to Milwaukee. Was it? Patrick Baldwin Jr., the kid who stayed in Milwaukee because his dad's a coach. But at the same time, granted, he'll have the Bucks and Brewers to compete with, but they're the primary college there. Mm-hmm. You look at a guy like Jabari Smith, number four recruit in the, cl- in the 2021 class who went to Auburn. What the hell is there to do in Auburn and Alabama? You know, in that part of Alabama, you're going to be the number one guy there. So you're going to get a lot of endorsements. Well, we saw with uh, Jalen Suggs in, at Gonzaga this past year. Chet Holmgren going to Gonzaga. The hell is there to do there? Even even the kids who go to like a Duke, you're not facing a lot of pro competition there. I mean, yeah, they got the Charlotte Hornets, cool, you know. Who? Exactly. You've got the Carolina Panthers. Wait, who? Exactly. So you got a lot of these schools that are going to be the number one show in town, mm-hmm. and that's I think I also think that's going to even out recruiting a lot too. I think you're going to see a lot in college basketball, especially with, like, when you play football, at the end of the day, it is a team sport. Basketball isn't necessarily that. That you go to any basketball game in the country, whatever grade you want, you can go sit in the bleachers and you can spot the most talented kid instantly. You just sit down there, you watch, and you go, oh, that's the most talented kid on the floor. And it's never really a question. So I think that, especially in college basketball, you're going to see that where, it's just many people wanting a big stage they can make some money. Well, you know? and here, here's kind of what I'm saying with this. Like I said, the swing in recruiting. Granted, these are all very successful programs, especially over the last so many years. So first of all, of the top 20 recruits in the country from 2021 class, three of them are going pro, including the number three of Jaden Hardy out of uh, Henderson, Nevada. He's going pro. But you have, in your top five, you have Gonzaga, the number one kid, Duke, duh, you have the number four kid in the country going to Auburn. Not exactly a powerhouse lately. Number five is going to Milwaukee and Patrick Baldwin Jr. Tennessee got a top ten recruit. UCLA finally got one. And the ninth overall kid going to is going pro. You've got one going to Alabama. You're going to see a lot of these swings. And granted, number one recruits don't mean shit in the long run. I mean, you still got to go out and win. But at the same time, like you're, like I said, you're seeing a balance. Not you know, there's been years past where the top ten kids they're going to Duke, Kentucky, or UNC. But I mean, even the, I guess the top ten recruits, though that that is a big deal because those usually are the NBA guys. Usually, what five of that top ten is going to be drafted in the league? Right. So it's not just it's that's not nothing, you know. But even like I said, I was just saying, you know, you have three guys in that top twenty who are going pro right away including the number three. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious now that the money is going to be flowing a little bit more for these kids. They're going to have more options. First of all, I think you're going to have better college basketball. You're going to have more competitive college basketball. You're going to have guys who might stay for four years because they're getting paid and the education. 
I think those mid-range guys are definitely going to stay more. Like Sam Decker left his junior year, right? I mean, That's correct. I think someone like him would have stayed four if he's making money in the league, probably. Or making money in the NCAA is probably staying that last year. Uh, I don't know about his specific case because I don't think they would have. I don't think his value would have gone up after that. But but he wasn't pro ready either, though. Right. That that's more of a point. Some of those guys that might be fringe guys being pro ready might stay next year. Right. Justin. Yeah, I don't know how you know. That's an interesting conversation because you you don't know how much how much it sways because of how much you get for being in the lottery, how much you don't get for being in the lottery. First round is guaranteed contract. Second round is not guaranteed. How many years you get on contracts. So those are the types of things that when you're talking about getting paid at the, at the college level that I, you know, that we don't really as analysts or, or podcast guys that we really don't get into conversation about, Oh, well, we should just pay these guys. So they stay long. There, there's a lot more into it. Endorsements uh, on the professional level. Yeah, but they can make that money now. That's the nice thing. They can go make that money now in college level. So a guy, just for example, another yeah, local. But the, another. But the problem is, Eric, is is in in pro, that money is guaranteed to you. In college, they could swipe a scholarship from you at any time. That's you true, and that's, that's a giant problem in NCAA. They'll swipe that scholarship from you fast. So, you know, and, and if you sign a, a, a three or four year deal on a first round deal, you're guaranteed six, seven, eight million dollars that you're going to make. So the, that's what we're not talking about when it comes to this jump in. You're, you're right. But let's, let's just take a guy, another local ish product here Diamond Stone. Diamond Stone, everyone knew was going to be a one and done. Mm-hmm. That's the reality of the situation. Didn't have a great freshman year. I mean, he was good, but he wasn't, you know, amazing. He didn't light the world on fire. He got dropped in the second round. And there's an element of it where it's like, okay, you know, obviously this is what he's going to do. He's still, he stuck with it. And then he didn't really make it in the NBA. He didn't really even make it in the G League. So you have a guy like that who went to that private high school. He did the whole thing. But maybe if he can, you know, maybe if he can go sign a deal with the car ship or car dealership in Maryland or, you know, whatever. He, you, the only problem is you're not going to get really shoe deals because you have to probably still stay specific to that school. Like he couldn't have gotten got a Nike deal because that's an Under Armour school. But beyond right. that shoe deal type thing, I mean, you're still going to, you know, you can still go get. Are we sure though that that wouldn't happen? I don't know. I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with that. You're taught. You're not talking about millions of dollars, is what I'm saying. You, a, a car dealership deal, they're going to give you maybe what, ten, fifteen thousand dollars to do three commercials. That's that's or fine, just, but for for some of these kids though, who who would you know maybe take who and I, I have nothing. I have no beef with anybody who took illegal benefits. I think they should have. But you're going to see guys who don't have to take those illegal benefits anymore, per se. And, you know, they can give that $10,000 back home. They can give that $15,000 back home and still get their education. They don't have to feel pressured to go get that million dollars right away. Well, the, if they don't have, you know, if they're not quite in that precipice of being that good. I think the point you're making, too, is it's not the fact of the million dollars, right? Right. It's the fact of getting enough to make buy. Because that's what the athletes have been complaining about now for years, 40 years, is that, I can't live on $100 a week. Like, I need to have 
um, some more cash flow coming in. I'm not allowed to work because I'm obviously playing almost professional level basketball. So that $15,000 for three commercials, sure, that's not a million, but that might be enough to make some income for you. Yeah. That that's the biggest thing. Like I and you know, not I've seen on a mid-major level what a D1 basketball player has to go through for between study sessions, morning practice, film time. You still got classes thrown in there. You don't have time to have that that student life job to make a couple hundred bucks to to go out to dinner or to you know go hang out with the friends and go to a movie or something like that. So yeah, if you can make that ten thousand dollars, awesome. That that's a game changer for some of these guys and girls. It, it's incredible. And that's I think the biggest part of this is that you can get that kind of that swing and that balance for some of these people where they can be that number one show. And especially, like I said, I think you're going to have a lot of mid-majors that kind of get a lot of higher recruits, too. I I agree with the majority of what you're saying, but it is not going to affect the top 30 players in college basketball. No, but but for your next 30 after that. Those guys are all going to go. For your next and 30 so after that, though, that's the, prob- the real swing. The, that's- pro- the problem for college basketball is still going to persist with one and duns. Well, the problem with college basketball is and a lot a- deeper than just paying them endorsements paying and money. And the issue with college basketball is that you're not. Your talent spread out far enough that you're truly probably not actually getting NBA quality talent. Like even Gonzaga this year made it to the national title. And they didn't really see NBA talent until the Baylor game. So we're talking now that it's hard to judge players based on talent level. So your NCAA issue is a lot deeper than that. Well, I guess the point that we're trying to make is that you're going to maybe allow some of these guys that are fringe guys. Well, look at, look at like Vander Blue. Vander Blue is another guy who made a career in the G League, went out because his stock was high, but even, like I said, Diamond Stone, a guy who maybe if he gets that $10,000 deal, stays another year in school, gets better, doesn't have that feel, that need to have to jump to the NBA for a non-guaranteed contract. You know, all, these, all these different things, you know, I, the, the, cost of a, the cost of a college scholarship is lower than the cost of attendance for that school. Yeah, but... The, the problem is, is that these big shoe companies are buying these kids before they even get to college to go to those schools. So that that's the problem. I mean, I, the paying the kids for basketball wise, is just not going to matter, but you're, you're right. Football the top, wise, the top, matter. the top 30, 25, 30 guys aren't going to be affected by this, but it's that next 25 to 30 guys who are going to be the most affected by this. And that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a guy who can go to Gonzaga or Tennessee or Auburn where you're the main show in town. You're going to get, because of how ESPN is worldwide at this point, and it's not, you know, you don't have to have that pressure to go to a Duke to get on TV to get in the NBA. Well, I think the point that Eric's trying to make and that is that college basketball will probably get deeper. Yeah. Like the talent level. Without probably- a doubt. It hope, and this is what I think we're hoping is going to happen, right, is that the talent level 
in general gets raised because some of these fringe guys might stay that's NBA talent, but it's a year out. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe. Is that a guarantee? I don't I guess we don't know until we see it, but I don't know. I, I don't think it's really going to help college basketball in the sense of competition when when you're talking about who's going to compete for championships. I, I, I honestly don't think that's going to help. I think it's going to help college football a hell of a lot more than it's going to help well, college basketball. I th- going to your point, though, when we start talking college basketball, and we're not, we are not—we won't get in the football thing today because we obviously all know where we'll stand on that, but college basketball is a lot more coach-driven than, well, I shouldn't say that. It's star-driven still, but the best coaches are getting results, right? So if you have one of these fringe-level NBA guys that's a second-round yeah. talent that has an extra year of Coach K, that's going to help that play out immensely. Well, they won't have an extra year, Coach K, but I see your point. Okay. <laughs> I had to. All the second round talent are, are kids that are juniors and seniors. The NBA is becoming a league where they're jumping on you when you're 18, 19 years old, and they're going to invest high draft uh, equity into 18, 19 year olds and not. 23, 24, 25 year olds. But that's what they should do. So, I agree. The, but, they should get rid of the one and done to begin with. They should be able to, I told I uh, I completely agree. In fact, what I think the NCAA and NBA should work out is you either pick, you can go to the draft and you can be gone and, and even go to the G League and make your $90,000, or you could go to college. On scholarship, but like baseball, you're going to stay there for three years. Oh, three that, years, or like yep. football, you're going to stay there for three years out of out of high school. Because that's what. And sh- then you'll have the opportunity. That's where basketball is going to drastically improve. That's where when when this paying kids is going to matter. But until they get rid of that rule, it's not going to matter. Have we, did we just and, agree and on that, something? Oh my God! What? I just want to mark that. <laughs> mark that down. No, Justin, Episode 29. You're 100% right, though, because the issues that we're getting these, and even the NBA's problem is that your top five guys every single year will be top five guys coming out at 18. They just have to wait a year in the system to then go. Right. But the issue is that now we're getting five through 25 that's a first-round talent but will make it to the league, but be underdeveloped and not be able to actually make it in the league because well, they're getting beat up by men. Let's look at Tyler Hero, and that he's part of that Miami Heat team. That mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened to them. And I mean, we we give him a lot of shit in our show because he's a Tyler and Hero of the week. He's kind of a douchebag, but that's exactly what happened. I mean, granted, he was made for the bubble. He excelled in the bubble, mm-hmm. but when they got a little bit of film on him, and he's not quite as physically developed yet as. Whatever he came out, he was a one and done guy. He went to Kentucky. He did what he had to do to with the current system. But if he was at Kentucky till he was maybe twenty two, twenty three, like you're supposed to when you're about ready to graduate, even twenty one, he's a different ball player and he's more ready for the NBA. Yep, and that made the NBA talent better because you're actually going to see, and that's kind of the issue with the NBA right now too, is where you have 
draft these young players come in a league that you have 22 games on. You have 22 games of high competition skill level film on these kids that now you're going to draft a first round pick and take this kid and pay him what $8 million a year for a four year deal. And you don't really know if this kid can actually play You know, he's talented, but you don't really know. He hasn't developed work ethic. He hasn't really developed the love of basketball that needs to be there to make him the NBA. Well, let's let's look at, I mean, the guys, I mean, what the hell is Marvin Bagley doing? Duke guy. What the hell is Wendell Carter Jr. doing? You know, well, these, those I are mean, two top ten guys. Contributors. Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter is on Chicago. He's a contributor. He, contributor, um, but I mean, these guys get kind of what Rams is saying here is these guys get propped up to be stars. The guys who are you know, and they're good. They're hell of a you know. They're incredible athletes, but maybe they're not quite that NBA. Mm-hmm ready, but they have to be because that's the way college basketball signed up. The problem in the NBA right now, and I think we can all agree on this, is that the NBA has I on the top of my head, I can think of three guys that are leaders and star players. Like Kevin Durant's a star player. Kevin Durant's not really a leader, right? I mean, right now in the NBA, you probably have Steph Curry, LeBron James, and Chris Paul. After that, that list starts getting really slim. Maybe Jimmy Butler. But you start getting really slim on these lists of fully matured players who are at their athletic peak. And where the NBA is going to start or has been struggling for about 10 years now is that you're getting these incredibly talented players that get beat up for five years in the league and never develop into that next star player. They have all the talent in the world, but don't, their bodies aren't ready. They're mentally not ready. Well, and this is the kind of the downfall of, of how sports work is that the, these guys who are these top recruits and come out of the draft go to the team that suck, and maybe they're not good enough to get to to beat out the suck. Right, and that's like like Marvin Bagley was an incredible college player. The be- the best example of that though is is a guy that would have come out and he would have been the number one pick. He had to go to Kansas for a year. Was another still ended up being the number one pick, Andrew Wiggins, and yeah. he has he went to a shitty Minnesota franchise that's been shitty for however long since Kevin Garnett was there, and and even then they weren't the greatest. Uh, and now he's carved out a niche with with the Warriors. He, he's carved out. He's got a bit. I don't even know how long he's been in the league, but it's got to be eight nine years. Maybe seven, eight years, so maybe I'm a little dated on that. So, but when you talk about being the number one pick and you're drafted overall and you're drafted at 18 years old or 19 years old and you're projected, you're thinking that you're going to end up being, you know, a a Chris Paul or 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 a LeBron. You know that that's what the. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Andrew Bogut went one. So it's just a crap, it's a crap shoot, you know, and he, and he was a four year player. We're probably the only podcast so, in the world right now talking about Andrew Bogut. In 2021. Yeah, yeah well, definitely. 
Without unless, a doubt. Unless Andrew Bogut has one. <laughs> Even he's not talking about Andrew Bogut. <laughs> that's only relevant of a big career he had. I take that back. He had a really good long he had, career. He had some big minutes on those Golden State teams. I'm still just amazed by the fact. So that trade that went pushed, put him into Golden State. You think about how much different the NBA could look right now in the landscape of the NBA, where the Bucks had their choice of Monta Ellis or Steph Curry, and they went with Monta Ellis, which at the time was the better option. But you think of what could have been. First of all, Gold, Golden State went to bed what they were. No. Yeah. The Bucks could have would but have been a lot like, looked a lot different. But just like Monte Ellis, it, Curry wouldn't have stayed here either. So Well no, not not at all. By no means Are would he have sure long term. Steph Curry wouldn't have stayed here. Steph Curry is from what I've San seen Fr- is extremely San Francisco loyal. is awfully San Francisco's awfully different than Milwaukee. I'm not dis- He also went to Davidson though. I'm like not, we yeah, can't I'm not disagreeing with that. And his dad played in Charlotte. <laughs> well, I mean Charlotte what, Toronto? So it's not like Steph's not been in small towns, but yeah, that would how great would that have been? Giannis and Steph on the same team, even oh, if they weren't on the same team, because I don't think Giannis was in the NBA yet when that happened. We were in high school when that trade happened. I'm trying to remember, that was like 2011, 2012. We were like ju- sophomores was like in high school. Drafted like 14, 13 or 14, 15. 15. Yeah, that picture of him. Eight years ago is amazing to where he is now. Yeah. I saw that um, kind of floating around that the story of him with his rookie year. He was sending all his money back to Greece and like to his family because they weren't they were very poverty stricken. And he sent so much one day from a game check. He didn't have enough like money for a taxi to the game. So he started to run until somebody like and it took him probably I don't know how far he got, but it took somebody noticing this giant seven foot dude running towards the, the then Bradley Center to say, Hey, do you need a ride to the stadium? Jesus. And now that dude's a two time MVP, max contract, super max contract. Insane. Skinny kid out of Greece. So that's actually a great seg- segue, guys, to kind of more of our talk here about the Bucks. And, and we've talked a lot of Bucks the last couple of weeks here. But they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. We have to. So we got to talk about I've. I don't want to put that reverse jinx back on us because we're up two one right now. But as I just did it. Yeah, yeah it is what it is. So we're we're already going to go down that bandwagon. So I, I've been thinking a lot about the Bucks, and my I've got to say, and I'll be honest, my perspective has changed a lot in these last couple of weeks here. I still think they're they're kind of. They're both overrated and underrated at the same time. And that doesn't make sense. I don't think they're as good as na- as the, the, na- the nation's perceiving them right now. I think that's a lot of, okay, this is what's left and this is what we have to do. I think that they their winning has covered a lot of warts that they have. But at the same time, like I was saying earlier in the episode, they have found ways to win in every series. Granted, like I said, they've gotten breaks. But they've found ways to truly win as a team that you need to win a championship. And I was telling Ramsey about this, and this is very much an overreaction take, and it's not something I even truly like. I don't know if I 100% believe in this, but the Bucks don't have a, I don't think they have a true Batman. You know, they don't have a true number one guy, but they have a lot of, like I said, any given night, 
you don't have to have all three of the big three to, to go win a game. Chris Middleton has been huge lately, and I think Chris Middleton's probably the closest thing to Batman. But in a way, they kind of have like a Spurs type, Spurs light, Walmart version of Spurs feel to them, where they have a lot of quality pieces, and you don't have that true number one guy per se that's going to go hit a bucket in clutch time. Like you look at the Spurs team, especially like 2015. I mean, granted, Danny Green played incredible in that series against the Heat. Kawhi Leonard played incredible in that series against the Heat. But at any point, they didn't have that number one, like, this guy's going to go get us a bucket. They didn't have a Steph Curry. They didn't have LeBron James. And, hey, here's the ball. Figure it out. you got 24 seconds. I, I would put that in just a little bit of context. We kind of talked about this for the show. I, I would agree that's probably Spurs White. But let's not start. Like, the Bucks to what the Spurs were in t- that was late 20. 20- or mid early twenty teens, like the two thousand twelve to right. fifteen team. In my opinion, those those were the best basketball teams we've ever seen. They had better you and I have ever seen. They we had, didn't we didn't get to see, truly see the Bulls when they were doing the Bulls. Things, I don't but. see. I disagree. And people always say, "Oh, the NBA back in the nineties and eighties were so much better." No, you had guys seven of your eleven guys on the floor that were playing night couldn't shoot three. Like the the skill level today is so no, but, much but you better. see what I'm saying though, just about the the buildup of that team. No, I would still I'd argue I don't care. Those Jordan Bulls teams were good and great, and that's fine. But even on that team, Jordan wasn't a great three point shooter. Scottie Pippen wasn't a three point shooter. You had what Steve Kerr. Those teams were good. I mean, we got they were good. They were great for the era they were in. Though. Yep. But you also the bottom of the league was absolutely trash. Like. The bottom of, outside the top of eight teams back then, the league was utter garbage. Like, the league was garbage. No and, no disagreement here. no one ever talks about that. They're like, oh, back in my day, it was so much better. That's not true. But, like I was back saying earlier, I think those Spurs teams are some of the best teams we've ever seen. So, to be even have the Bucks compared to that, I think it's a little bit of a stretch. It, it is. However, it's very overreactionary. I'll, yeah. I'll be the first to admit that. But you start to look at like the pieces, and you can kind of find some different comparisons in there. Giannis is very much like Tim Duncan. And you said it yourself. Giannis, like you look at Game 3. Game 3 is kind of a microcosm of my, my take here. Giannis was on the floor playing very key minutes, kind of acting as a decoy. But he wasn't having the ball in his hand. Yep. Very quiet. You know, Chris Middleton took that game over. Very kind of Tony Parker-esque. And in a way, kind of also Manu-esque in that, in that sense that, you know, either one of those guys. But Drew Holiday also, very quietly, the stats outside from his assist won't show it, took over that game last night. The makeup of the bench last night, Bobby Portis and Pat Contens. Bobby Portis specifically, games two and three in this series has been, words don't describe how important and how instrumental he is to those two yep. wins. And how, Bobby Portis is probably the MVP of the series so far. Like unsung not, hero. He, not stat wise. He's the unsung hero. He's the unsung hero of. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him in that MVP conversation just because the the stats don't point to that. He's kind of well. He's, he's has to be Middleton. At this point, yeah. But the stats don't prove it. He's kind of a lot like what um. Who won the twenty fifteen or yeah twenty fifteen? Andre Dollar. Yeah. A lot like that, minus some of the scoring. Yep. Well, he only averaged like 
12 points. Yeah. That series. So, but Bobby Portis has stepped up in such big minutes. Pat mm-hmm. Connaughton has had a great game three. He was okay in game two, but he didn't have to be. Even for what it's worth, P.J. Tucker has been a great addition to this Bucks team. I'm not a huge P.J. Tucker fan. I, I think he's not, he's not my type of player that I'd want on my team, but he's been kind of... Uh, he's been that... He was a thorn in the side of KD. Yeah, he's just kind of been an ass. Like, he's just been kind of... That, he's done what he had to do. He's yep. been that instigator on defense. Yep. In, in that sense, he's almost kind of been like a... Well, kind of like Tiago Splitter. I fucking hate Tiago Splitter. Still. I great. still do. I'm still salty about that that dude. But that's what he is. He's been that instigator, that that guy who's not going to take crap from anybody, and he's going to go get it done. He was the Andrew Bulger of those uh, Golden State teams we were just talking yeah. about. Yeah. That's the same type of player. You have a lot of comparisons you can make. Drew Holiday, like I said, didn't have a very flashy game in game three. 12 assists. Locked down Trey Young defensively. Well... Tuna, he held him in check. Okay. Yeah, I was about to so say. what you have I mean, to do. He still had, what, 32 points yeah, like, that? like that? But he held him in check. So guys like Trey Young, guys like Katie are always going to go get theirs, and especially in this NBA. Mm-hmm. You can't stop them, but you can contain them enough. Oh, man. I was so fired up. There was a call, I think it was last night's game, where like, I am so sick of seeing offensive players lean in and get the foul call. Oh, my God, yeah. Can someone, can we talk about that? How? Oh. Oh my God! I'm sure the old ball it, coach over there is going to freak out here. NBA basketball, just the way the way the game is called, you allow the you allow the offensive player to slam into the defensive player, and then, and then when the defensive player falls, then then it's a flop. But he's literally lowering his shoulder and pushing all of his body weight into a person. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? It was uh, right at the beginning of the game. The amount of traveling, the the uh, the amount of fake fouls at the hoop. The amount of, I mean, I thought I thought LeBron cried a lot, but Trey Young, to me, if he just shut up and play basketball, he he might be my favorite basketball player, uh, and that, and that's by far. The guy is amazing to watch. He's got a great floater. He's got a great shot. He's got great vision. But after every play, the guy is attacking refs. And for the NBA to allow this and, and to let this creep into our youth and, and this is how this game is flowing or, or, or moving towards, I, I can't stand it. I, I, it it boggles my mind how, how far off of actual basketball the NBA it, – it's men's rec league basketball, really. It, it, it's terrible to watch. It's men's rec That's- league basketball with that kid at the Y who always calls every foul. You play call yeah. your own fouls. No, that that's a foul. Our ball. Right. We all it's, hate that kid. It's freaking horrible. <laughs> but you know that's the thing. It's with the ridiculous. It's how much of a star-driven league it is. The NBA can't talk to their stars. Can you imagine that? Imagine being in a league where well, Adam Silver's super soft too. I mean, that's the other issue. But like the the league right now is where it is because they allow the stars to just do whatever they want. And that's even exactly. And the the real issue too is that you have stars that get certain calls, but you're not getting those calls if you're Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis isn't getting the same calls Giannis is. Freaking it, and or just, KD. That one last night, that it was right at the end of the game. I freaked out. I'm sure, like, I'm sure Justin's freaking out too. It was Giannis literally was out on Trey Young, 
and Giannis stood there. Oh, Trae yeah. Trey Young leaned Jumped in. Jumped into him. And all of a sudden, I gets the call. I'm like, what is this? Like, that you can't. The NBA needs oh, to the change pump, that. The pump fake? The pump fake? It, it was right at the beginning of the it was right in the beginning it of the game. It was right in the beginning of the game. It was Giannis' second foul. Oh, yeah. I don't think I saw that one. I missed it. Was, it. it was out no, the, I know exactly I, what you're I talking about. The, yeah. I missed the first quarter. It was out on the I thought you were talking about the pump fake with Chris Middleton. But, yeah, they may need to change that rule. That needs to happen. That needs to be something that goes away because it's, it's almost embarrassing that, again, the offensive player can lean into the defensive player and get the call. Yeah. <laughs> in any, I mean, we could go days and days and days about how the NBA is officiated because it's absolutely uh, a disgrace to the game of basketball. Where's Tim Donahue when you need him? At least he was honest. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, Damn. like... I mean, that, that's the beauty of college basketball and even college basketball starting to float in the wrong direction. Uh, after watching it this past year, it's ridiculous. It just... I see. I don't know it's if I would not say true fundamental basketball. Okay, but true fundamental basketball doesn't necessarily win anymore. Fundamental basketball was designed when people. Fundamental well, basketball. I'm not. I'm talking about rules. Fundamental. Okay, I'm not talking saying, about but, fundamental basketball. Rules fundamental. And it's just yeah, it, but even you kind of get to the point now too in the NBA where I know I'm just kind of backtracking a little bit, but people are so athletic now that some of these like. Calls I can I can only imagine trying to ref an NBA game. Oh no, it'd be impo- like it'd be, it'd be so hard. It'd be impossible. And I don't. So I don't necessarily even think it's the refs necessarily. I think it's the league not enforcing, like allowing them to enforce some stuff and not others. Giannis at the free our free throw line goes over ten seconds every single time, but we only want to call it every once in a while. Like that's not, you know, ten seconds is ten seconds. The fans are chanting all night last night. I I don't. Think, they were counting too fast. Like it, it was but, funny. It was it was good fans. That was incredible. Like I, I was gonna, I wanted to give that my noogie so bad, but at the same time, like if that was like a Bucks, like the Bucks were playing against a guy like that, and you're in that arena, you have to do that. But sure, sure that might come a little bit fast. But Giannis is, you could call him for that every single time. Oh, without a doubt, he's shooting ten and a half, eleven. Yeah. And but we're not gonna call that because the NBA doesn't want to make it worse. Well, no, and then because if they enforce that picky, you know, tic tac rule. And then they're not calling a charge, or they're not calling whatever. Then you're gonna have some real problems. So I agree because I think Budenholzer called it a slippery slope. If you're gonna start calling that, you're gonna have to start calling a lot of other stuff that they're not doing. And actually, I'm kind of glad I brought up. And now that we're having this conversation, kind of brought up Tim Donahue. Like I think he was on a Barstool podcast not too long ago, and I'm talking about how the NBA back then, yeah, he was fixing games and point shaving, and you know, that's not good, obviously. But at the same time, the NBA was influencing a lot of, like, you know, when they would go to replay, this is what you got to do. You got to make anything you can do to get this call. Like, find a way to, to swing it. Yeah. So, and I don't doubt that for one bit. But we, so even we're talking about the NBA, but I bet you across all major sports, that's probably true. Probably. It, Admittedly. Isn't it always funny just how the team always makes the cover? Like, this team always makes the cover, or, or you always hit the over, or. There always happens to be that holding call. Yeah, right. At the end of the game, that gets you in field goal range to hit the hit to the cover over. the spread. Yeah, and... exactly. And that's that's how it's always been. I mean, we but we have more access. It, it, it's it's funny how it's always been that way, and it always will be that way. 
But at the same time, it's like you, you see it so much. You know, now that we have more, we have social media. We have everybody and their brother, including us, the Roof for Wisconsin show, has a podcast. Uh, one thing I do think the NBA should try to get away from is replaying or allowing replay into the game. I think replays kind of hurt the integrity of the game because they're going to replay and they're still not necessarily getting calls right. So I understand that the that people, in my opinion, that we need to kind of lay off refs in general a little bit because you're watching stuff in live time with live athletes. And we've all ref games before. Refing, I hate refing because someone is always screaming at you. Like, when I used to ref stuff, I would not call a single thing. I don't care. We're not, I'm not calling. Unless it's an obvious blatant travel or you punch a kid in the head, like, I'll call that. But swallowing the whistle, I'm not calling nothing. And that's where the replay kind of goes in is that now we're starting to replay everything and we're getting it wrong. See, that's, that's kind of the downside of, you know, what I was talking about earlier with the MLB All-Star game is now that you have so many different camera angles, you have so many, to make it a better home experience, you're seeing things that 10, 15 years ago probably wouldn't have seen. But that's what I'm saying. I think yeah, in, it's, it's, in general, we should try to go away from like showing replay on every single thing that happens because it puts, it kind of forces the refs to call certain stuff and not call other stuff. But now that, I don't know if you can get rid of it though. That's the only problem. You could. You could do it. It's just, it would be, you just have to talk to your networks who would bend over backwards for you because you're obviously paying your salary. Like, the, the NFL does a pretty good job of it. NFL usually gets it right. For the most part, the NFL does a pretty good job, but we're not replaying this, we're not replaying that. We're, and I think that stuff like the NBA needs to go more towards that route on, look, it's an out-of-balance call. I'm not going to replay that. We're just going to go with whoever the ref's on. We're just going to go with it. But then you have to also be on board with the network saying, hey, we can't go and replay this 15 times on right before the next commercial. Like I said, I don't, I don't know if you can go away from that at this point, though. From what they've been able to challenge and review, and especially, I mean, obviously I think the rules become different in crunch time like that last two minutes or whatever because it's important to see who has possession of the ball. But I'm saying, so if the ref is just making the call, we're not going to allow the networks to replay it instantly. We don't know. We would never know. We, we get 15 camera angles, right? That, that's my point. That's what I'm saying. I don't think that we should be replaying. We should just put it in the hands of the refs more than having to replay everything. Because even there was a call in the Phoenix LA series that's still being talked about in game, what, two? Right. So we should, I, like I said, I think as a whole, we should try to go away from that more so than lean into it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, replay, I, you know, I agree with Eric that it, in the last two minutes, if we're doing it in the last two minutes and, and we're really only checking to, to see who has possession of the ball, if it went, there are a lot of, like even in, in the game last night, there were a lot of close calls that were, that were really significant. Um, it, and last night, there there was a there was a call on Trey Trey Young that uh, a backcourt violation on whether Drew Holiday touched it or not. I thought that the fact that they didn't go to replay and and it was significant play in the first half, late in the second quarter, the that they didn't go to replay and they just kind of played through it. I love the fact of that. But I think I think 
when you're talking about the playoffs or you're talking about playoff contention on the line, the final two minutes, that's just too, too important of a call in the game. The game has adjusted to technology as it should. And it's, it's just too valuable not to use at least in the final two minutes. So I agree with Eric mostly on that. Yeah. So just to kind of to this a little bit back to the Bucks, a couple points of conversation yet. Bucks up two one. I th- I don't want to jinx it, but I'm going to say this is over. I I truly think so. I think we've seen everything we can see from Atlanta, and once again, I think Milwaukee with winning game three. Obviously, they still got to go out and get two more yet. So we'll see. They're halfway to a a finals appearance. They're, I, I, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think we've seen the biggest punches from Atlanta that we're going to see. And I don't think Trey Young's necessarily healthy. And Atlanta's offense completely runs through them. So, and I could be completely wrong because I've been definitely wrong with the Bucks before because they're very inconsistent. But the, the game that Atlanta won, game one, Trey Young had, what, 48 points? I don't yeah. think we see a forty-eight point game from Trey Young the rest of the series, and that's what it would well, take to be Milwaukee. The problem, the brother, you know, they could. Trey Young could, but I mean, if you're Mike Budenholzer, you can't be so goddamn stupid to to not to not try to double team him so so high on the floor and let Quint Capella try to hit a jump shot or let Quint Capella try to <laughs> try to make a great pass and if they do then fine but at least it's not Trey Young that's beating you and for Christ's sakes could you please teach Brooke Lopez how to play play a uh, pick and roll defense either at a hedge or or to play the person don't you don't stand in the middle of the lane guarding nobody it's know. absolutely pathetic defense. I don't. I don't disagree. I just don't know if Brooke Lopez has it in him anymore to be able to play true pick and roll defense. No kidding. He hurts. It hurts me to watch him run down the floor. He looks like he's aged fifteen years and two years. It's it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to consider. I don't know what we're paying him. I thought. At one time, excuse me. I, I thought at one time it was thirteen million dollars, and if that is true, holy cow, are we way overpaid for that guy? Well, we're overpaying for a couple players on the team right now. Let's not hear another there. <laughs> All right. So Obviously not Chris Middleton because he's taking us to the finals, baby. He's he's taking over the number one role for the Bucks. The number one role for a team that's going to the finals. He's underpaid. Let, we need to give that guy a max contract. Let's, he might win. He might win a. He might win a championship this year. He's the best player on the team. Let's relax. The Milton talk. He didn't show up for game one or game two, so he had. He said what? One good game this series. He had two last series. Three last He's series. He's the man. Three last series. So. But that's that. That's kind of been my issue with Chris Milton before, though, is that he's just inconsistent. Well, I mean, and I, like I said, I kind of do admit that I was a little harsh on him probably before. I still think he's overrated and overpaid. I think he's probably the best three in the league, but he he has played some extremely big minutes in crunch time these last few games. So, hats off to you, bud. 
Yeah, I, I, I've been amazed by Chris Middleton's leadership in this last uh, on leadership, floor leadership. The and even those games he wasn't necessarily playing well. So Brook Lopez in 2020-2021 season is making 12.6. They have him under contract for two more years. Next year he's making 13.3 and 13.9 the following season. <laughs> that, that's pretty cheap for an NBA player nowadays, but can you imagine being on contract for two more years? Oh my goodness. Like I said, that's they're, they're, and they're paying. Jesus. That's that's he, he's relatively cheap. He's the fourth highest paid player on the Bucks. That's insane. Wow. So one one more quick uh question here for you guys before we wrap the show. So game game four, Tuesday night, we'll have this recorded prior to the episode coming out on Wednesday. Game five would be that would make that See Tuesday, Thursday, potential closing game in Milwaukee. Correct? In Milwaukee, game five would be back in town. So, what I'm going to ask you guys to just kind of wrap up here is, what do you think, or who do you think at this point would be the Eastern Conference Finals MVP, and who do you think has been the the true, I guess, kind of like what we're talking about, Bobby Portis being that unsung hero. Who do you think is the unsung hero so far, and who do you think will end up being that guy who steps up the most besides like the big three? I think like I said, I think PJ Tucker is probably the unsung hero if I had that opinion. Um, honestly, though, it, in my personal opinion, it doesn't really matter. It really d- determines those big three how they play. Like it, that's what it matters. The everyone else is filler. Um, like I said, probably PJ Tucker. I think he's had a under. He hasn't played great, but he's been willing to do the little things to win. Justin, I, I think the guy that they really need to get going, especially if they go into the finals, the guy that they really need to to, to have get in their set is Bryn Forbes. He's, he's, oh, yeah. he's a guy that's trusted to come off the bench and hit big shots. And, and up to, up to last night, he hasn't, he hasn't, I mean, he's made a couple threes, but he hasn't been the consistent dagger thrower um, that they were really hoping that he would be coming off the bench for them. Um, so if they, if they are going to win a championship, they need Bryn Forbes to really step up off the bench. I, I like the logic of that. I'm going to say, just because of the amount of minutes that he plays, I think Pat Conson has to do more like game three Yeah. than what he had. I mean, he's had he had a great series against the Heat. He disappeared very early in that Brooklyn series and kind of reappeared s- sparingly throughout. But if the Bucks are going to win a championship, I grant you're going to have to have big minutes, minutes out of Bobby Portis. You're going to have to have big minutes out of Bryn Forbes and P.J. Tucker. And even, you know, other guys that we've mentioned here. Pat Conton, I think, is has to be that guy who is going to get you consistent minutes, probably score somewhere between seven and twelve points, not be a liability on defense. And cause he's one of those guys who's just one of those hard nosed, like hustle players who always seems to be in the spotlight, like not necessarily for the good reason, but he always at some point, you know, he touches the ball a lot. 
like the offense very sneakily runs through him at times when he's on the floor, whether he's getting assists or just kind of you know swinging it around to getting that extra pass. That's something else that the Bucks have done really good this postseason, especially the last two games, is getting that extra pass when they need it to get to the more open guy. And Pat Conton's been in that role a lot lately. So I, I expect if the Bucks are going to win a championship, he has to be that guy that steps up for that too and answers that bell. So with that said, we are going to wrap the show up with what we always do. What are we rooting for in the upcoming week between now and next Monday the 5th? Let's go Suns. I'm on the Suns bandwagon. Not going to talk about Road of America right there? I mean, yeah. I would have already talked about, though. True. Justin? I am rooting for... There were um, a couple local athletes over the past weekend, one of them being my former um, four-year player on varsity for basketball, Chris Shaw. She won the state discus. Uh, in Division Three, she's the state champion, so I want to give a shout-out to her. Congratulations. And then over the week, starting tomorrow, there are a couple local area teams that will be participating in the state baseball and state softball championships. So for baseball, it's Coleman, who is the one seed, and then in softball, it will be Peshtigo and Marinette are both going to the state. So uh, good luck to those teams, and hopefully they can bring home some some hardware. Yeah, very good. You know, I'm I'm you know, Justin, you're supposed to put your shout outs for what already happened in the beginning of the episode, but I'm not going to yeah, dock you for on. that because we got to get it in at some point. You know, that's awesome. Congrats to Carissa. What I'm rooting for, I usually would take the Brewers here. They got a big series against the Cubs uh, this week here, and, and then going to since uh, going to Pittsburgh. I'm gonna go a different route here. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna root for the Bucks to close this thing out in five. I I wanna be there on Thursday. I know it won't happen just because of my work schedule. But get this done in five. Get a little bit of rest before the finals, because I think game five is gonna be all at rope for Phoenix tonight. If this goes six, maybe. You know, they'll they'll play Wednesday. I don't think that happens, but I think that's So if Phoenix closes out tonight and Milwaukee closes out on Thursday. That means finals are going to start, what, next Monday? I think they'd probably go Tuesday to avoid the holiday. That's usually what it is, right? It's usually the, it's like a four or five day. Right. Let's do it Saturday. I don't think they'd go that quick. Maybe Sunday. But they'd have to. You guys just threw out almost every possibility besides Monday, so. I don't think they'd do Monday. I don't think they'd do Sunday the 4th, and I don't think they'd do Monday the 5th. Just because it's when technically the holiday is being observed in a lot of areas because of the holiday falling on the Sunday. Like I said, if I had to guess, if, if this gets closed out in five, I'd say Tuesday the 6th is my guess. I'll tell you. It'll be exciting. I hope I hope they make it. Um, but, you know, don't look too far ahead. and Let's just get the job done here and then rest up and Hopefully, uh, hopefully you can bring it home. All right. With that said, that's episode 29 in the books. Another great one, guys. I love the new night that we're recording. Truthfully, this might even lead into like a two-time 
recording like a two time a week. We'll see what happens with our schedules here, but I love what we're doing here. I love the new release date, getting in line with bigger podcasts out there and getting ourselves some big, big, uh, big time, big show feel. So with that said, I'm Eric signing off for Ramsey and Justin. We are out of here. See ya. Bye. Salute.